0: This is Inside the Writer's Head with Jessica Strasser, the Library Foundation of Cincinnati and Hamilton County's 2019 Writer in Residence. The Library Foundation's Writer in Residence program promotes writing, literacy, and creativity while furthering the Library's mission of connecting people with the world of ideas and information. Here now is Jessica Strasser. Hi, everyone. I'm Jessica Strausser, and if you like thrillers as much as I do, you're in for a big treat today. Our guest is David Bell, the USA Today bestselling author of eight novels from Berkeley Penguin, including Somebody's Daughter, Bring Her Home, Since She Went Away, Somebody I Used to Know, The Forgotten Girl, Never Come Back, The Hiding Place, and Cemetery Girl. His new psychological thriller, Layover, Releases in a matter of days on July 2nd, depending on when you're listening to this, there's a good chance it's already out. And he'll actually be in town discussing the novel at Joseph Beth Booksellers on Monday, July 8th. David is an associate professor of English at Western Kentucky University, where he directs the MFA program in creative writing. A native of Cincinnati, he spends his free time rooting for the Reds and Bengals and confusing fellow fans by being named David Bell while rooting for the Reds and Bengals. He lives in Bowling Green, Kentucky with his wife, fellow writer Molly McCaffrey. Welcome, David, to Inside the Writer's Head.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Hey, let's start off by talking about your Cincinnati connection. For me, Cincinnati is my adopted hometown, but you are the real deal. Right. You're born red. You're a Westsider, correct?
1: Yes, so I and 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 I think I'm a little bit older than the David Bell who manages the Reds. So I was David Bell first.
0: Ah, right.
1: He copied me. Yeah. <laughs> if he wins the World Series, I'll let it go.
0: <laughs> so you, where did you? Do you want to fill everyone in on where you went to high school?
1: Yeah, I, I grew up on the West Side, um, and I went to grade school over there at St. Catherine of Siena, which is very important if you're from the West Side to identify your Catholic grade school that you attended. Um, and then I went to St. X for high school, uh, and I was class of '88 from St. X. Um, and then I went off to college, and I and I came back to Cincinnati. Um, when I went to graduate school, I got my master's degree at Miami. So I was near Cincinnati. And then I got my PhD at UC. So I was back in Cincinnati for uh, five years to get my PhD. So so I boomeranged back a couple times.
0: And you are a doctor of writing. You're fancy.
1: I am. Yeah. I, yeah. I kind of disappointed you weren't calling me doctor throughout. I'm sorry, yeah, Dr. So, Paul. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs>
0: So uh for those listening, David and I met each other. We were we were actually seated next to each other a couple of years back at Books by the Banks, which is a big annual book festival in town. If you haven't been, you should go. It's every October at the Duke Energy Convention Center and They bring in uh, dozens and dozens of authors who are available all day for you to come in, say hi, uh, get a book signed. They have events for kids and teens. It's all free. It's great. But um, David and I were seated next to each other uh, one year at Books by the Bank. So that's a long day. That's an eight hour stretch of sitting next to the same author while you're both kind of chatting with each other, while you don't have um, readers at your table. And then uh, a couple weeks later, uh, we were at the Kentucky Book Fair, and I walk in, and who am I seated next to? But David Bell, again, for another glorious eight-hour day. Right, but I think
1: we we should point out that there was, there's, when we're at one of those events, for the two of us, there's almost never time when we're not being mobbed. Because we're so popular. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, really, I was just kind of you looked vaguely familiar to me, but we hadn't, you know, had much of a chance to chat in between the mobs of fans. That's true. That's true. I'm glad you pointed that out. So, yeah, by the time we got to like the fourth festival in a row, I was actually feeling kind of sorry for you that you had to sit next to me. Still, I think,
1: you know, there are some people you show up at one of those festivals, you see the same people a lot. And if you see you're going to be sitting next to a certain person, you think, oh, no, I'm not sitting next to that person again. But I never felt that way about you. Mm-hmm. I never felt that okay. Even though you're from Pittsburgh, I never felt that way about you. <laughs>
0: you know i well when we got to the southern kentucky book fest last year and i walked in and it was you again i think it was like four in a row the organizer was like well i just i thought you guys were really good friends it seems like you always like to sit next to each other every time i've ever seen you you're sitting next to each other so i put you together so i think it's just gonna keep going it's becoming like a self-fulfilling prophecy at this point
1: okay hey that's fine that's fine
0: Get to embrace it. I guess so. So if anyone does come to Books by the Banks this year, maybe you can get David and I together.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Um. Okay. So your new book, uh, is Layover. Um. Can you tell us about it and how you got the idea for the story? How it all came together?
1: Yeah. So Layover tells the story of a guy named Joshua Fields, who is uh, a guy in his twenties. And he uh, he works all the time. He flies all the time for his job traveling around the country, even though he doesn't like to fly. He hates flying and he has to take Xanax and have a drink in order to fly. He flies all the time for his job. So he's really, I mean, he thinks his whole life is just like airports and hotels and, and restaurants and whatever. And so he's in an airport one day and um, he is in line in the gift shop and he meets a woman who's in line next to him. And, um, and they kind of have a connection and he takes the bold step of asking her to have a drink with him uh, while they're on their layover and waiting for their flight. So they go and they have a drink in one of those uh, romantic airport bars and and they have a drink and they talk and they feel an immediate connection for each other. They're, it's just like one of those moments when you meet a stranger and you start talking and, and immediately you feel like you can be yourself and you can be comfortable and you can talk about it, everything. And so they have that connection. And then out of the blue, this woman whose name is Morgan just gets up and gives him a long, passionate kiss and says, look, I've got to go and we're never going to see each other again. And so she goes to. Her plane. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she goes to her plane and he's a little despondent. he's thinking like, ah, you know, I thought I, I might be able to see this woman again, whatever. Um, and then he looks up at the TV that's there in the bar and he sees Morgan's face on the TV screen and learns from the news that she is a missing person and everyone is looking for her, and he just saw her. So of course, he has a choice: do I do I try to find this person again, uh, or do I just go back to my regular life? And spoiler alert: there wouldn't be a book if he didn't decide I have to go try to find this woman and help her. So that's the setup.
0: Well, and he kind of keeps choosing that too. That's it's really interesting. I, I found it really fun and interesting reading this book and kind of contrasting it to your last one. Um, Cause in your novel from last summer, somebody's daughter, um, the story opens when a man is drawn into the chaos of a missing person's case. You know, his ex shows up on his front door and claims that her child who happens to be missing is actually his daughter.
1: Right. Yeah. Um,
0: and he has little choice, but to follow her and try to help her. And so the book follows this really intense whirlwind night but with layover um we have a character in joshua who really chooses to follow the chaos i mean he could have just reported that he just saw this missing woman and then moved on with his life but when joshua realizes he sort of stepped into something really strange um he has many opportunities to kind of like back away from the situation but he doesn't At all. He's almost looking for trouble.
1: Well, I mean, part of what's going on in the book is that he is dissatisfied with his life, that he's he has this job and it's a good job, um, but it's not really that exciting for him. He works for his dad's company and it's sort of like he feels obligated to be working for his dad's company and so his life is not that fulfilling cuz all he does is work and he's never at home and he doesn't he doesn't keep up with his friends and he doesn't keep up with his former girlfriend and so like everything in his life is unsatisfying so then this door opens to this other world that this that maybe this woman is someone he has a real connection with um, and maybe all of this is much more exciting than the mundane life he's been living. So I think that's part of the reason why he seeks the adventure that he, he seeks by getting on the plane and following her.
0: Yeah, I could take another Xanax and go do what I'm supposed to do on this flight to Tampa. Or right. I could go chase this missing woman into Kentucky.
1: Right, so- where, where everybody wants to go.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this book, actually, all are—is it all your books that are set in fictional Kentucky towns? Do I have that right?
1: Well, no, the first um, the first I'm trying to remember the number four or five maybe were set in fictional Ohio towns, Um, Uh, even though I was already living in Kentucky when I was writing them. I was still writing about Ohio. And then um, when I so I was living in Kentucky and I thought, well, why don't I start setting some books in Kentucky? Um, And this one is the one that that actually goes. uh, Usually my books are set just kind of right around one place. This one is different in the sense that it's they're flying to different cities. I mean, a lot of it happens in Kentucky, but they're also flying to some different cities. Um, So it's a little more expansive in that way.
0: So why, I already know the answer to this, but can you answer for our listeners why you choose um, to invent a town or use a composite town instead of using real towns for your stories?
1: Well, the reason is just because then I can do whatever I want to the town. I can take pieces of towns that I know and I can put them all together and mash them up into whatever I need the town to be. And then I'm not obligated. I mean, not that like people, if you do it in a big city, then there are a lot of people who might be able to say like, oh, there's not a, there's not a Starbucks on that corner or whatever. Um, but but I just want to have the freedom to set the town up any way I want and then and then I refer to real places around it. So like I'll put a town in Kentucky and make up the name of the town and lay it out any way I want, and then I'll refer to real places like, oh, they went to Lexington, they went to Louisville, they, you know, they went up to Ohio, they went down to Tennessee, whatever. Um, But then that just gives me the freedom to do whatever I want with the landscape. And then nobody, nobody comes back and says, oh, you know, I've been to that town and there's no, you know, there's no square, there's no whatever, right? You can just do whatever you want.
0: And thanks for putting a dead body outside my restaurant, because now no one's going to want to eat there. Now you can just put dead bodies wherever you want
1: in your life. Right. Right. Like if I wrote about Bowling Green, um, you know, there are 60, 65,000 people in Bowling Green. So it's not a tiny town, but you know, there are only so many places you can go or you've got, you've got to start inventing places at some point. I, I think even if you wrote a book set in a big city, you would still find yourself inventing things or, or whatever, just to suit the purposes of the story. So uh, it's just a lot easier to just make it up and start from scratch.
0: So I think, um, so Layover is a psychological thriller, which um, I feel like that term is misused sometimes in broadly characterizing suspenseful work. Can you, as a doctor of writing, as well as a writer yourself, can you put into words what it is you think that makes a a good, true psychological thriller?
1: Well, I mean, I find all of those terms confusing myself that, you know, like when I first, when I published Cemetery Girl, I mean, I wrote Cemetery Girl, which was my first book with Berkeley, Penguin, thinking I'm writing a thriller. That's what I thought. I'm writing a thriller. I'm writing a suspense novel. Um, Then they bought it. And I was talking to my editor one day, and she said, "Well, you know, since your book is domestic suspense," and I thought, (laughs) "What is what does that mean? What is domestic suspense?" And that's when I learned that that was what they were calling my books domestic suspense, meaning that you know it's a book about regular people. In a suspenseful situation, right? Not cops, not FBI agents, not military people, um, not spies, whatever, but just regular people caught up in suspense. So domestic suspense, you know, you're
0: your Right. And, and, it's, and it tends to be the people close, because my books are sometimes categorized that way as well. It tends to be, we should say, people who are close to you. So a, right. a husband or an ex or a friend or a neighbor or somebody, somebody in your inner circle is usually responsible for whatever right. conflict.
1: Right. What it's not, easy. it's not usually that some stranger has shown up and killed somebody, or there's a serial killer. You're right. It's usually someone, you know, uh, which is, these are designed to make you sleep well at night to think about yeah. how your, your neighbor or your brother-in-law is really a murderer. Um,
0: so, well in real life it usually is someone you know though. So. Well
1: it, absolutely right. I mean like 90% yeah. of the time it's someone you know. So yeah, so it so in that sense it's very true I imagine. Um so um so so like so my books were called domestic suspense. I, I don't you know people split these categories down very narrowly and i'm not sure i understand what they all mean um so like but to me i just think that for any suspense novel whether it's called psychological suspense or domestic suspense or whatever the key is that you have characters who the reader understands uh and empathizes with to some extent I, i don't think they have to like the characters completely i don't think they have to think these characters are perfect but they have to understand them in some way and um and can relate to them in some way and then when the reader gets caught up in what these people are doing uh and going through then then that makes that heightens the suspense that you could you could write this perfectly plotted swiss watch of a book and, and you could get people to turn the pages, but if people don't care or understand about the characters, then then they're not going to be as invested. So, so I to me that's what psychological suspense is: is just that you understand how these people tick, uh, what is making them work. You understand the decisions they're making, uh, and you care about what happens to them in the end.
0: And we are we do in layover get the story through, it's told from a few different um, points of view, but we get the, the first person point of view in the story is that we are inside Joshua's head.
1: Right. I mean it's it's his story. Um, we understand the stuff about his job. we, find, we learn things about his childhood. We learn things about his relationship with his father, um, his relationship to his job, and all of that. So all of that plays a role in the decisions he's making in this book to do things that, like we said at the beginning, an ordinary person. Like if I was in the airport and I saw a missing person, I would tell the police and I would not get involved. You know, I would, I would go home. I would do whatever. Um, but I, the hope is that you understand all this stuff about a character so that you believe that they would go and do things that people ordinarily wouldn't do.
0: And you outline your novels in advance, correct?
1: Yeah, I make a pretty detailed outline, which I which I did not do early in my writing life. I I was not an outliner. I mean, I might I might make back in those days, um I might have made a very very simple outline, like as simple as, you know, first scene, middle scene, last scene or something like that. Um, but now I've progressed to the point where I do have a pretty detailed outline and I prefer that because, um, I am writing a book a year. Um, I don't have time to get too far off track. And, um, and so I feel like the outline almost functions as a first draft, that you can work out as many problems as possible in the outline stage um, so that when I sit down to actually write the book, maybe I've answered some of the big questions, which is not to say that I don't get off track and it's not to say that I don't have new things come up that I haven't thought of, but it's just an attempt to eliminate as many of those as possible early on.
0: Exactly. Um, can you see, I'm so fascinated by that because that's something that I'm sort of working toward as well. I've never been an outliner, um, but I'm on the same kind of schedule that you are. Right. Kind of trying to write a book a year. Right. And also, um, which means you you have a deadline. Right. Um, yeah. And also when you're selling books um, on proposal, once you get a, a few books in, usually they want, if not an outline. I, I don't I don't know if you submit an outline to your editor but mine one's at least a synopsis a detailed synopsis which is more than I would have been able to provide probably <laughs> with my first couple of novels
1: yeah I mean that's really how it's evolved is that my editor wanted to see a what they call a proposal but is really just like an outline a summary of the book and um it it got to the point that I started just making them more and more detailed, for, you know, partially for me to to know what was going to happen, partially because I was anticipating questions that my editor would ask. So I, so the more I worked with my editor, the more I understood, oh, these are the things that she thinks about when we're planning a book. So I started to provide more and more information. So sometimes the outlines, the the outlines got really long, Um, but then it answered those questions. So, you know, it, it, it can be frustrating trying to figure that stuff out in advance Because there's a part of me that is thinking, well, you know, I'll just I'll, you know, trust me that it will that it will be figured out. Um, But at the same time, my one of my greatest fears in life, and it's probably every writer's fear, is that, you know, you'll write 250 pages of a book and realize, holy cow this whole thing doesn't work because I didn't think about it in advance. I didn't understand. So, you know, so the outline helps eliminate some of that.
0: Yeah. I, so how long would you say, I mean, how long is it? Like I know Ken Follett will do outlines that are like, you know, 50 pages long Are yours that long.
1: Well, Ken and I, um, we think very similarly about writing. No, I don't. Um, he, I, they're not fifty pages long. Of course, his books are like a thousand pages long. So. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think the sh- you know, like they've been as short as you know seven or eight pages, and then the, I think maybe the longest ones have been nineteen, twenty, you know, twenty-two pages or something like that. I'm trying to think of the one for layover was maybe it was a ten or twelve pages. Maybe I'm guessing that that's probably about average. Is it? It's like ten or twelve pages.
0: Well, the next time we're seated next to each other <laughs> at a book yes. festival, I'm going to need you to explain uh, how you've trained your brain <laughs> to start doing that in advance. Because I'm I'm working on it, but I do think it's hard if it's um if you're just naturally a more organic writer. But I like you; I find security in um, mapping it out in advance. But uh, sometimes when you're used to kind of writing your way in to something in order to figure it out. It's hard for me to train my brain to figure it out without doing the, you know, the writing portion of it.
1: Well, I I mean, I think it's like anything else with writing. There's not, there's not a right or wrong way and there's not a set way to do it. And everybody part of, you know, especially I think once, once we start publishing, and and getting into the rhythm of of all of that, we all have to figure out what works best for us. And and my editor always said this to me. She said uh, way back at the beginning, she said, you know, some people don't like writing outlines. Some people struggle to write this kind of document. It's not natural to everybody to do it. So you know, I mean, I just think. Um, I think people just have to figure out what works best for them and how they can best utilize an outline. I mean, it may be that the outline for some people should not be as detailed because maybe that doesn't work for them. And then right. other, other people, I mean, I know, um, it, you mentioned Ken Follett. I remember, you know, Frederick Forsyth, the, the great spy novelist, talking about how he would make this whole list of index cards of like every scene in the book, you know, and it's just like so some people are very detailed about what they're doing. So who knows?
0: Well, and you mentioned your editor, too, and how the two of you have sort of um, developed this process together. And you you have been with the same editor for all eight, nine books, correct?
1: Yes, yeah. and
0: that is increasingly rare in publishing. It's a very transient uh, industry with a lot of turnover so it's amazing that you've had that
1: yeah it is unusual um, and and it means that we do at least understand how each other likes to work and like I said, I can anticipate things she's going to think about when she's looking at a book in fact we joke about it you know she'll say like oh well you know i'm gonna have my questions about such and such and such and such so you know so we we understand each other well enough now to to be able to do that so that helps
0: when you were getting your phd did you intend uh then to write suspense
1: novels I, you know, I that's uh, that was so many thousands of years ago. It's hard for me to remember. Um, that was way back before I became the manager of the Reds back in the in the early <laughs> aughts. Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Uh, yes, is the short answer, I guess, because I had um, uh, there. I wrote several books that were unpublished that remain unpublished for a good reason. Um, but yeah, a couple of those were suspense, crime novels, um, even back then. So yeah, I always I always liked the genre a lot. I always like, you know, the best writing advice I've ever had is um, to write the kind of book you would like to read. And I always liked reading suspense novels and thrillers. I mean, I like reading everything, but that was a genre I always liked to read. And I liked the idea of writing a book that would so entertain people Mm -hmm. that they would say that they were not able to put it down, that they were reading the book late into the night saying, I just have to read one more chapter. I just have to read one more chapter, even if they know they have to get up early and go to work the next day. Um, So, yeah, so that was always something I wanted to do because I think that those books have a lot of appeal to a big audience. Um, Yeah. So I would say so.
0: I think You know, I'm curious what the attitude was at the time in the academic writing community toward genre fiction, usually when somebody's bio has that they've come up through, um, you know, creative writing programs and that they're teaching or directing creative writing programs, they're very, very often writing literary fiction. And I've been noticing more and more and more people involved in the academic community are writing commercial fiction now. Have you seen those attitudes kind of shift and change um, within the academic community?
1: You know, it's a good question. I mean, when I was, uh, to be perfectly honest, when I was at Miami getting my master's degree, um, people, there was no real strong distinction made between what I was writing and what other people were writing writing. At least among the faculty, one of the faculty members who I loved, Constance Pierce, who's retired now, um she was a big fan I mean she wrote very, very literary fiction in her own writing, mm-hmm. but she was also a fan of Elmore Leonard and Walter Mosley and people like that. so to me that was that was the way you could be. I didn't think there needed to be a distinction between the two that's great. I like to read everything. I don't sit around and say like, "Oh." I would never read that book. I would never read that genre, right? I mean, if a book is good, read the damn book. Who cares?
0: It's the same with me coming up through Writer's Digest, kind of developing as a writer myself while I was editing Writer's Digest. You know, I didn't have the luxury of being, especially since I was doing, you know, the interviews for our cover stories, I would always read the work um, of those authors, so it really forced me to read all kinds of fiction, things I wouldn't, or and nonfiction, you know, things I maybe wouldn't have normally picked up on my own. And then, of course, when we had regular contributors writing for us again and again, I'd want to read their work too to be supportive. And so, um, I think like being a. Uh, even if you're not drawn to reading different sorts of work, I think it can be really instructive and kind of open your view of writing as a whole to read outside of just one, you know, one genre or one kind of
1: book. Yeah. I mean, first of all, it sounds incredibly boring to only read the same kind of book over and over again. I can't, I couldn't understand that. Um, and and i i also agree with what you just said which is you can learn something from reading any kind of book whether it's i mean like for instance just reading nonfiction written in the New Yorker or or something like that. You can read, you can learn so much about writing and scene setting and and detail and all that kind of stuff. So I would just say, why wouldn't you read everything? It's like, if you went to, you know, some buffet and you said, well, I'm only, when I go to buffets, I only eat the shrimp. That's it. That's, you know, like, no, you could eat anything you wanted. Why would you limit yourself to one thing?
0: Right. And I think that can actually be like a part of the reason that, that some of those labels we were talking about earlier can be kind of frustrating. You know, it's like, well, this is psychological thriller, or this is domestic suspense. And there's this urge to put such a specific label on things. And I, I understand why publishing needs to feels the need to do that from a marketing standpoint. But sometimes if the label isn't accurate, or if the label seems too constrictive, it can be a little bit frustrating too.
1: Yeah. And the truth is readers, I don't think care very much at all. I'm sure... You have had the same experience I've had where you've spoken to book clubs or you've gone to book clubs and you'll have a group of readers and every month they read a book and they meet. And so it's like one month they'll read nonfiction, one month they read a memoir, one month they read a mystery, one month they read the book that won the Pulitzer Prize, one month they read a fantasy novel. And it's like, they don't care. They're not sitting around saying, oh, we, you know, we're the you know, we're the domestic suspense book club, you know, they're just like they're readers and they read what sounds interesting to them and they read what people are talking about or what gets recommended to them by word of mouth or, or, you know, at their library or their bookstore. So I, yeah, I agree. I, I it's, I, it just, I feel like the, the, the labels and the sub labels don't reflect the way readers read.
0: And I have had that experience. I I visit with a lot of um book clubs. I do prefer not to come right after the book that won the Pulitzer Prize.
1: That <laughs> <Well, laughs>
0: would I mean, be like the next pick.
1: Oh, because chances book. are your book would be more interesting than the book that won the <laughs> Pulitzer, depending on what won the Pulitzer Prize that year. But you know. Uh, they, I'm serious, they might find it refreshing to say like, Oh, this I book really actually It's a acceptable. Prize. It's yeah, a- it made sense. So, you know.
0: <laughs> it was in layman's terms.
1: Right. Unless unless any Pulitzer Prize winners are listening, in which case I'm not talking I about you. I love your book. We're cool. It was a- we're cool. <laughs> Can I have a blurb? Yes, we're
0: good. Um, I, before, we're almost out of time, but I did want to ask about um, your wife, Molly McCaffrey, is also a writer. Um, the two of you, you actually met in grad school for writing, correct?
1: No, no, we met long, long before that. We met really? as undergraduates, yes. Oh, as yes. undergraduates. We met okay. as junior year of college at Indiana University.
0: She, yes. she is... Um, we
1: lived in the same dorm.
0: She's such good people. I really love Molly. I I feel as if we live if, I feel if we lived in the same town I feel as if we'd be great friends. She's just a kindred spirit. Um but I'm if pretty- we lived
1: in the same town you'd be sick of us. We'd call you up and you would say, oh, "I'm sorry, we're busy. I'm sorry the kids are sick."
0: I would not be sick of you at all.
1: But okay. I'm curious.
0: I'm so fascinated to know what it's like being married to another writer because um, I think in some ways it would be um so nice to be married to somebody whose brain works in that way too. And yet there are so many times where I feel lucky that I'm not married to another writer. For instance, when we have to do anything involving finances, (laughs) even remotely.
1: Right. Right.
0: Like what is that? um, What's it like?
1: Well, I mean, the, the, the thing is, is that it means that uh, we understand what the other person is doing and going through. We understand all the weird things about publishing. Um, We understand the process of writing and the difficulties of writing. Um, when, When I'm coming up with an idea, like when I'm in that outline stage of coming up with a new idea, I have someone write here in the house, I can talk to you about it. You know, I can say, you know, well, what about a story where someone does this? What about a story where someone does that? So
0: that's and, what I need. I need Molly. I need to borrow Molly. The well, next time I, I'm outlining a book. Just for like
1: a I, week. I'm sure for a fee. Yeah. That could be arranged.
0: It's not that yeah.
1: far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so that's all the, that's all, it, you know, it's, it's almost all great. I mean, like you said, the, if I could think of a downside, which is not even a huge downside, it's that, um, you know, I mean, we have, we have to figure out ways to escape from it. We have to figure out ways to say, okay, we're gonna, you know, we're just gonna watch a TV show, you know, we're just gonna go to a movie, we're just gonna go do something that is not about writing. We're not going to
0: deconstruct how this TV show came together.
1: <laughs> well, that's what ends up happening is we watch right. a TV show together and then we sit there and discuss, oh, well, the writers did this and, oh, isn't it interesting that they did that? So, I mean, it happens anyway. But, you know, that's what we both are interested in. So, so why not? What can you do?
0: Well, um, you know, my husband is a financial planner. So the next time you need something involving that sort of life skill set, Maybe I could send him down to you and you could send Molly here.
1: You know, all writers should probably have a financial planner living in the house because, you know, what writers don't know anything about that and the taxes are weird and all. So it's probably very helpful to have a financial planner around.
0: Yeah. So we'll like spouse swap the next time I need to outline a book and, and Scott will just take care of like everything you need for the coming year. I'm just volunteering him for this now.
1: Okay. He'll find this out when he hears the podcast.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: I'm sure he's, by the way, I'm sure he's dying to listen to my podcast.
0: Oh, he is though.
1: I'm sure he's on, he's, he's on pins and needles waiting for this to drop.
0: (laughs) Um, thank you so much for making the time to do this today. This was so much fun. Could you say, um, where listeners can connect with you online if they would like to learn more about David Bell, who is not the David Bell of the Reds? And your I just want
1: to be clear. Speaking of financial planners, that David Bell makes a lot more money than I do. <laughs> and as we record this, the Reds are like seven games below 500 <laughs> and he's making a lot more money than I am. Um, so they can find me. My website is davidbellnovels.com. And then it's also easy to remember all my social media. It's David Bell Novels. So Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, it's all at David Bell Novels. So you can find me there and see announcements about where I'm going to be and when books are coming out and when books are on sale and giveaways and all that kind of stuff. So please come by.
0: Yeah. Thanks for being here today, David. It was really fun.
1: Thank you. Good talking to you.
0: And good luck with layover.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Special thanks to the Library Foundation for funding the Writer in Residence program. You can meet Jessica at various events throughout the year. Learn more by visiting cincinnatilibrary.org slash writerinresidence. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss future episodes and leave us a review. It helps other book lovers find us. Thank you for listening.